Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, wine friends, and welcome back to another episode. Now, I wanted to make sure that this series, we are looking at all aspects of the wine world. And so, the decision of what stopper you're going to use to seal your bottles of wine is an important one. And so, this brings me to today's theme, cork. Now, cork has been used as a wine stopper for centuries. They come from a forest habitat with incredible biological diversity. With the explosion of screw caps in the last 20 years, many began predicting that cork stopper would become obsolete. But the story behind cork is so much more than the fact that they are adequate at sealing the neck of a glass bottle. There is the people, the animals, an epic story of sustainability. And so this episode, I'm talking with Carlos de Jesus, who heads the marketing and communications department at Amarim Cork. I figured if I'm going to have the story told about Cork, then who better than Amarim, who are the world's leading company in the Cork sector. So part one, Today's episode, we're going to touch on TCA, trichloroanisole. This has been the nightmare story for cork, as when wine comes in contact with a natural cork that has been affected by TCA, it changes the flavours of that wine for the worst. So think musty, wet cardboard. But we will also touch on the science that has now been used to eliminate TCA and it offers a non-detectable TCA guarantee on cork. You're going to understand the composition of a single cork and how it works, why it truly is one of the world's greatest sustainability stories, which countries produce cork, the age of the trees and when it was first discovered. So I hope this episode opens up a slightly different side of the wine world for you and we will perhaps add some emotion and romance to your story the next time you open up a bottle of wine with natural cork. So I'm happy to go over to the chat now. I would like for you, Carlos, to start by telling everybody listening, how the hell do you get into the cork industry? Well, I had about 10 friends that asked me, um, why the hell are you going to work for the cork industry? (laughs) (laughs) Well, feel free, rephrase the question. Give us whatever answer you want here. Uh, No, no, no. It's um, a relatively straightforward process. Okay. As straightforward as, you know, living in New York after a decade can be. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't decide to come back to Portugal as much as I decided to leave New York. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, why not Portugal? So, um, you know, 16 years ago when when this happened, Portugal was not on the radar of most people, but it made a lot of sense to be able to start working for a company like Amarin that had an amazing story that needed to be told. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cork was a remarkable material. And of course, being Portuguese, that was more clear to me than the rest of the world, perhaps. But I knew that cork was not a material that was about to disappear because it did not make sense. On the contrary, it had mm. all the strappings of a material for the 21st century. 
So um, that's what I decided to ask, uh, basically, Antonia Amorin to uh, give me a job, which she did as an investor relations officer for the company. Ah, okay. Uh, but um, what I did not last that long because <laughs> if we Why? didn't fix the communication issues that we were confronted with, there wouldn't be any uh, Amorin stock to um, to sell. So it was a it was a clear cut decision back then, and um, I was a bit scared to be honest with you. I knew about how to communicate, but I did not know much about pork, and I didn't know much about wine. Uh, did you not? Okay, <laughs> okay, because you are Portuguese. So, did you not grow up with perhaps having parents pouring wine at the dinner table? Well, yes, wine in a lot of Europe is a beverage that goes with foods, and mm-hmm. certainly by then it was um, definitely the case. I mean, we wouldn't go out for a drink of a Chardonnay or, or yeah. any of those things that now everybody does. You ate um, and food and wine, that herring that we all now look for was something mm-hmm. that you grew up with. But uh, back then, uh, a bottled wine was not as widespread as it is today. So a lot of the wine was still my grandmother would still go and buy, buy wine from a big barrel around the corner. Yeah, um, so course. a lot of it was still in bulk. Bottled wine was something that, of course, existed and it has been around for almost 300 years or so. But it was still reserved for more special occasions or for mm-hmm. the weekend. Because uh, during the day, you know, people would drink a glass of wine uh, with their meals. Um, but that would come from probably Debbie John. Yeah, okay, interesting. So let me ask you, because this is a wine podcast, your most special wine memory. Did this come after working for Amarin, the cork producer, or have you got one before? I have one where my aunts and my uncles and my grandparents tell me that I was 14 and all the uncles, this is uh-huh. September, right? So you have to picture this. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm picturing my eyes are shut. Born in Lisbon, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a city thing. You know, wine, of course, is part of the culture, but mm-hmm. you know, it's not a lot of wine being made in Lisbon even back then. So you would go, uh, August would be spent on, on, on the beach, but September you'd go back to your grandparents or your parents' uh, village. And uh-huh. that's when the harvest will take place and you get acquainted with country things. Yes, <laughs> Including uh, how wine is made and how wine you know, can get you drunk. And, uh, and apparently <laughs> my uncles decided that I was old enough to try some wine. And, um, and this is near the Bairada region. They decided. They decided, uh-huh. Uh-huh. yes. Yeah, so by the time everybody drives back to uh, to the town square, this is a small, very small village where everything is known immediately. I uh, needed help to get out of the car from my from my uncle, so that pretty <laughs> much um, <laughs> started a lot of alarm bells uh, uh, along the the lines of my aunt saying and my grandmother, "What did you do to the boy?" You know? <laughs> Yeah, precisely, boy, <laughs> not man. <laughs> exactly. No, not at all. Not at that age, you know. Well, my grandmother, you know, even when I was already grown up, man, I was still a boy, obviously. But the thing, the thing is that it was kind of a, of a rite of passage, uh, yes. mishandled, obviously, because the next day I was not in good shape. Um, but uh, I think my uncles were in worse shape than I. <laughs> so there you go. There's a little positive note. Absolutely. But I can tell you what the first serious professional tasting was. I had okay. recently joined Amarin. The board supervisor uh, had an invitation that he could not attend. So it kind of the, the afterthought, like, oh, I have this invitation here. Would you like to attend? Because I cannot go. And I look at the mm. thing, and it was in Madrid, a vertical mm. with Frédéric <laughs> Angerer and and Latours from 1973 to 2003. Chateau Latour? Yes. 
Oof. So that was something. I can tell you I was really scared because this is in the, in the Casino de Madrid, which for the listeners that have been there or can go there. It's a beautiful, beautiful place, the city center. And there's about uh, 80, 90 people, less than 100 people for sure. And there are some of the holiest, the, the sacred cows of the wine critique and the wine review world of Spain are all there. And, you know, I always thought that was a bit silly, some of the things that people write to describe wine. <laughs> okay. So I, I, I entered that room with that kind of attitude, right? And uh-huh. I can tell you that way before we got to that wonderful Chateau La Tour 2000, I think I was I was as poetic <laughs> describing what I was tasting. Oh my God! You were like a whiff of cigar box <laughs> on the top of a summer hill was breathing. <laughs> that kind of approach. Uh-huh. But, but at the beginning, I was um, you know I was kind of hiding my notes. I was very embarrassed that someone would read what I was writing. And mm-hmm. but it was it was a, an amazing as you can imagine. Uh, yes, welcoming to, the, to this tour. world of what uh, fine wine is and what some yes. of the best wines in the world can bring uh, in terms of the feeling, the sensations, the emotion, because it was emotional at the end of the day. So I, I think I, I knew wine before, I obviously drank <laughs> before, mm-hmm. but I don't think I had fallen in love with wine properly until that until day. Until then. <gasps> oh, so was, there we go. something, so... But where do you go after that? Well, yeah, the only way is down. No, No, that's not true. It means that you constantly are searching for that next moment. And I tell you what, there are always surprises. There are. There are. There are always surprises, positive and negatives. Um, Mm -hmm. But I must say, either I'm very lucky or because of the line of work that I'm in, I think most of those surprises have been actually positive. Equally, I'll never forget some of the first times that I that I experienced some wines from South Africa, for example, or from California, yes. which I had had before from California, certainly, but not not at the top level of what some of these wines uh, can really be. Uh, and that was remarkable, of course. Yeah, I can imagine. Now, whilst you're tasting all these different wines, Chateau Le Tour, of course, and these uh, premium South African wines, shall we say, I'm assuming they were all closed with an amarine cork right that's why you were tasting them yes no not necessarily oh. not necessarily you know we made you ruined my segue you ruined my segue <laughs> <laughs> no 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 we are we are encompassing um i thought you were going to ask that all these wines had the, had the natural cork on there but they didn't oh no what i was trying to get you to was for you to tell me why amarin is so amazing was the amarin cork in chateau latour i bet it was I can't talk about the clients, uh, obviously, but okay. we, mm-hmm. we, we made six billion quarks last year. Six billion? Six billion. And, oh of course, the vast majority of those, of those corks do not go to, you know, the great wines of this world because the great, the high-end wines of this world are a small percentage compared to, to everything. Of so, course, out yeah. of those six billion, I can tell you that a lot of these amazing wines, yes, are close with stoppers that were made by Amarin, absolutely. So, what does actually set you guys, Amarin, apart from other court producers? You said you wanted to come and tell the story of Amarin. So, what is it? The company is 152 years old. And, and I think if you allow me to go backwards... You're allowed. Go uh, on. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> What um, 
where we are today is, you know, being a company that I don't know, it's about four or five times bigger than the next competitor, something like that. Mm. Um, of course, there are deeper roots for that status as, as the industry, suitable industry leader. But if you want to look first at the last 15, 20 years, all the industry, and Amarin, of course, is the bellwether for the industry, so we particularly Amarin, we were threatened with kind of an existential uh, threat, which was TCA and the advent mm. of screw caps and, and plastic stoppers. Of course. So the challenge to have a future brighter than our past, because the past was fantastic already, but to have a future brighter than our past, we needed to defeat something that is measured in nanograms, in parts per trillion. Okay. Now, to defeat anything measured in nanograms, you're going to need science. To have okay. science, you need to have... I'm getting scared now. <laughs> no, no, don't worry. I'm not going to go geeky on you. Uh, not totally, at least. But no, a little bit's fine. Let's a little bit. I'm ready. A little bit. I'm ready. But to defeat something that is measured in nanograms, you need science. And science mm-hmm. can be very, very expensive, as we know. Of course. So your balance sheet, a very, very solid balance sheet becomes fundamental to give the scientists and the research and development department Emory the means to actually defeat TCA, and we achieve that. Now, of course, the next, the step before that is, okay, but how do you get to that point? And without going through all of those 152 years of story, let me tell you one thing. Imagine this, about 50 years ago, half mm-hmm. a century ago, that you could drive to the world's largest market for cords, which was France. You could drive to the second largest, which was Italy, or even the mm-hmm. third largest, which was Spain. So yeah. long drive to, not to Spain, but certainly to Italy and France, but a drive. Uh-huh. Yet, what does the company decide that we should do? Get on the plane, half right. world away, there's these guys in South Africa or Australia making wine. That's where we need to go. Oh, and by the way, we don't <laughs> speak English. <laughs> so it's a real story. It really happened. And we've been in South Africa for decades. And, and well, yeah, obviously it worked. Old. It worked. But you have to also re- imagine what kind of mentality prompts you to do that, to get on a plane, fly half a world away to sell corks to the Australians. Sometimes the best people in life are crazy. Well, yes. Uh, we have a saying in, in the shop floor. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's attributed to Einstein or someone that it doesn't matter, but a lot of good things are apocryphal anyway. But um, they say, well, <laughs> if beginning an idea does not sound crazy, it's not really a great idea or something like that. There you go. So there you go. They, there you are. That's, that internationalization mm-hmm. gave us the growth that led to the strength in the balance sheet that led to the scientific approach to defeat okay. TCA to where we are today selling six billion stoppers every year. And you say TCA, so this, for everyone listening, this is a bacteria. And yes, for everybody in the wine trade and for sommeliers and for winemakers, I mean, this is horrendous. It, you open up a bottle and it tastes disgusting. So yes, things have advanced so, so much. How much can you guarantee that now the cork stoppers that you are producing will not have TCA within them? Well, we can. And let me give you an example. My last name is Jesus, Janina, but I cannot offer you perfection in this world. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, And I think we have to, uh, even being where we are today, Mm -hmm. we have to reject the temptation of making promises of perfection in this world. I don't think that your cell phone has the occasional problem. It has more than that. Your airplane has the occasional problem. 
Yeah. But what I can tell is one thing. Now, getting into a, a tin can of aluminium that goes up 36,000 feet up in the air full of people and gasoline is not really the best idea. <laughs> Yet, millions of people do it every, every, every day. Uh-huh. Why? Because you believe in the risk management policies of the company that built the airplane yeah. and the company that operated the airplane. Mm-hmm. That's why that crazy idea works. And works very well. So I think what we have to do is to have what we have. That kind of solid risk management policy. What does that mean in reality? Well, the TCA, which is short, by the way, for 246 trichloroane, so that long complicated name, yep. uh, is innocuous. It's omnipresent. Um, and micro microorganisms do produce that wet cardboard uh, smell that sometimes you can find it in wine. Yep. The cutoff point in terms of quality there's a detection of FTCA. For humans, depending on the type of wine, let's say three to four nanograms. We have our quality control at cutoff point. It can be as low as 0.5 of a nanogram. So okay. we're talking about small, small, small. half a part of the trillion. I could not wrap my mind around that. Yeah. So I asked the scientists, okay, give me, give me, give me an analogy. What, what it is that we're talking about? And this is what they had to say. Imagine an Olympic-sized swimming pool. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine, 50 meters length, very deep, I remember that. Okay, now imagine finding one drop of water in 800 <laughs> Olympic sites. In that whole pools. pool. No, no, 800 of those. 800. 800, yes. 800 Olympic sites. Olympic size swimming pools, now find a drop of water wow. in 800 Olympic sites. Oh, and by the way, and do it in 12 seconds. Oh, for goodness sake. With a reliability such that you can actually go back to a winery and say, yes, we can deliver that promise of no detectable TCA in your court. Okay, I'm convinced. That's where we are today. Yeah, and to be honest, the fact that you've moved you know, technology and use science to get that specific, that you can give actually a pretty decent guarantee. That's almost perfect. It's almost perfect, Carlos. <laughs> Almost. Almost. <laughs> so where does Amarin fit in the market of closures? Because you mentioned, of course, that screw caps were obviously a massive issue and a potential setback. Then, of course, now we've got loads of synthetic corks. There's the glass closures as well. So where does Amarin fit in compared to these? Let me give you a little bit of context yeah. for what you just said. So every year you have about 20 to 20.5 billion bottles. 0.75, that kind. I'm not talking about the small little bottles, mm-hmm. 33, 32. I'm not talking about that. Talk about our world. Yes. Right? So 20.5 billion bottles. God. Of which 13 point something, 0.2 more or less nowadays, are closed with cork. Okay. Yeah. Plastics, single use plastics, mm. still have about 1.7 billion. But, uh, yeah. but they used to have almost 5 billion. Okay. So the good news is yeah. that we're moving away from that. Yeah, okay. The rest is uh, it's screw caps. Yeah. So screw caps are 5 okay. point something. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, all of Amarin alone has pretty much as many as the entire screw cap category has. 
Wow. So that Jurgenhout that a lot of people predicted. Yes, they um, said that 95% was going to be all mm, screw caps, right? That was like kind of the prediction, yeah. wasn't it? No, speaking again of a statement, it looks like deaths, news about death have been greatly exaggerated because where we are today is a completely different territory. Yeah. You know, during three years in a row, the fastest growing market for pork anywhere in the world was actually Australia. <laughs> yeah. Ah, you... Absolutely, yeah. Really? In 2019, before the pandemic, pork was growing 33% a year. Now, if there is, of course, a paradise of screw caps in this wow. world, that's pretty much what used to be pretty much mm-hmm. uh, Australia. Uh, well, even that can change. So we are actually growing exports of cork from Portugal alone. And remember, you have cork companies in other in other countries, in Spain, in France, in Germany, in Italy, certainly. But just from Portugal, cork exports are mm-hmm. growing almost three times as fast as the growth of wine consumption around the world. So you know what that means. Our listeners know what well, that means. We are well, that's amazing. market share. So that yep. scenario that you were describing simply failed to materialize. Some people have written about it. A lot of people have decided to forget what they wrote. You know, 15 years ago. <laughs> Conveniently, like, oh, yeah. Nope. Now, let me ask you, what's your opinion? Is this growth based on the fact that people have that understanding that they are actually supporting such a diverse ecosystem? The benefits, the amount of people that get jobs. This is actually such a sustainable industry. Is that why, as people are starting to pay more attention? I think that is one of three main axes, three main legs upon, okay. upon which this, this growth has been taking place and will continue to take place. But first, before that, I think we have to look at the technical capabilities of cork. One single cork okay. stopper, on average, packs as many as 800 million cells into it. Oh my now, God. 800 million cells that not only each one of them carries a little bit of oxygen in it, they also have an elastic memory that even mm-hmm. when you compress it over decades and decades, when, when you release that pressure, they immediately try to get back to its original size. And mm. it's that capability that makes it work so well inside the bottleneck, a glass bottleneck, or on a pair of Birkenstocks that gives you that extra bounce and comfort. It's all about that unique cellular structure. Now, you know, a lot of people have been trying for a lot of time to duplicate. Good luck. Has not happened. Yeah, yeah. And it probably will not, because sometimes nature, you know, teaches us a thing or two. What at Amory we have been doing, it's wrapping technology around that unique cellular structure. Mm-hmm. And that technical capability is really, really unmatched. And just think about this. Even the most accurate of the wine critics 10 years ago, he or she fell in love opening a, with wine, opening a bottle that had a cork in it. Of course. So mm. what are the positives of cork? We never had really the chance to discuss that because everybody was so, and perhaps rightly so, determined to, to defeat this year that we we spent a lot of time discussing the negatives of court. We did not discuss the positives of court. Mm. Now that we have defeated this year, you can start to have a much more balanced dialogue on these things. Second, it is important that people realize that every time that you make, that you purchase a bottle of wine that has a cork in it, you're making a direct, demonstrable, quantifiable uh, contribution to maintain one of the greatest sustainability stories out there. 
Yeah, it is. It's stunning when people understand. Absolutely. But there is a third one. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's a third one. We'll get back to sustainability because <laughs> you understand what this means. But there's also a third one. Think about the sound of it. It's a sound <laughs> that it's mm -hmm. a carrier of good news. No matter where you are, in Chile or in China, when you hear that pop, mm. it is a positive sound. And we cannot. But imagine we could run a poll amongst the human population that I heard today or yesterday reach 8 billion, which is a staggering number, and another good reason for us to go back to the sustainability topic, of course. Yes. But imagine you could run a, a, a poll and ask people, okay, so give me the top five happy sounds of humankind. I bet you that that pop will be one of them. Do you know what? And, it's so true. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is incredibly important from a marketing point of view. So if you want to replace that, with the metallic crackling of a screw cap being offered, fine. <laughs> maybe it's good for you, maybe it isn't good for you. But I think we need to have to have that conversation. And we need, again, to go back to the sustainability issue and remember one thing. Harvesting corn is probably the best paid agricultural job in the world. You can get as much as 150 years a day. And this oh fixes people to the land. Mm. We need, if we want to be serious about sustainability, you can talk about CO2, and you should, but you could fix the CO2 today and tomorrow, the world would still have a sustainability problem. So we need to talk yeah. about, about that. We need to talk about the fact that cork forests are part of one of the 36 hotspots of biodiversity around the world. Imagine the other 35 are mythical places like Borneo, Costa Rica, the Amazon. It's fundamental to regulate water cycles. It's fundamental to protect against forest fire because it's a native species. Mm. It is where it belongs and it needs to stay here. So all of these things are important. And yes, we do take a lot of CO2 from the atmosphere. It's great. You know, yeah. one single natural whole cork stopper has a balance of 309 grams. And an individual footprint, that it's 0.57 grams okay. of CO2 that each single stopper takes out. It's where it's called endogenous carbon, but the overall okay. balance, the whole story of this sustainability narrative that I'm telling you about, it's 288 grams per stopper. So Got this it. matters, and little things add up. It's just one stopper. Well, yes, but like I told you, you know, there are 13 point something billion of these stoppers every year going into the market. Yeah, and I mean, you're talking about that and the CO2, but of course as well, these are the homes of loads of endangered species, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Yes, some of these endangered species, of course, are very important. No doubt about that. They look great in like the Iberian lynx and the imperial eagle. They look great on photographs. But you know what biodiversity is also about? That tiny, ugly little beetle that it's on the <laughs> soil, making yeah. sure that that soil is healthy. Mm -hmm. This is incredibly important. Moet Hennessy running in, in June of this year, a whole event, two days, wonderful, wonderful event that Moet Hennessy did, just to talk about soil health. This is incredibly important. But again, those tiny little beetles, they don't look great on photographs in our Instagram, do they? <laughs> No, but of course, it's those, like I have talked about this with people about the earthworms, you know, if you're killing off a lot of these insects that are moving around the soil, they're aerating the soil. They are so key to regenerative farming, Absolutely. to making sure the hummus and the certain minerals and vitamins and everything can just work together so we can grow things in the ground. So it's interesting that you said, you know, about our lovely little beetle friend. Yes, <laughs> totally. Okay. Well, the world loves the beetles, all of them, right? 
I don't mind a beetle. A beetle. You're the other four. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to backtrack slightly. The corks that you make for Amarin are they all made from Portuguese cork trees, or are you using other cork trees from, say, Spain or other places? Amarin does not make only stoppers made out of cork. There are other applications made out of cork. From flooring to the Birkenstock shoes that I was telling you about, to mm-hmm. uh, aerospace applications, construction, transportation, a ton of other applications. Some of them are quite sophisticated, like aerospace heat management applications that, that use cork. So yeah. we don't acquire cork only from Portugal, but the overall, I think it's about 80 or 80 something percent of the cork that goes into the cork stoppers comes from Portugal and Spain. Um, but other countries that also produce cork are France, Italy, Algeria, Tunisia, and, uh, and Morocco. Uh, and by the way, only 30% of the quantity of cork harvested ends up in a bottle. But that 30% generates 70%, 7-0, the value added created. Oh, wow. Is it the best quality? It's the best yes, quality. Absolutely. Yeah, of absolutely, course. Yeah. has to go. So when I say that purchasing that bottle of wine that has a cork stopper instead of a plastic stopper, for example, has a direct measurable contribution to sustainability, that's why. Because if you are a property owner, or if you are anybody, and I take away 70% of your income, what it is that you're going to do, you're going to try to find something else to do. Well... If you are a property owner in this part of the world, that something else will inevitably not be a native species that does all the things we just talked about, the water management, well-paid agricultural jobs, biodiversity, etc. It will be an invasive species that then probably will end up in the nightly news going up in flames because every time you see Portugal on fire in the summer, mm. it's never in the cork forest. Never. Because ah. the best way to understand cork is to describe that as an armor for an oak that is living and thriving in sandy soils. Incredible. <laughs> in Morocco, for example, or the south of Italy or the south of Portugal. Well, you know, it's not really... If you're an oak, I think that would not be your first choice. Yet somehow, for an estimated 40 to 45 million years, cork oaks exist in this world. And the more you know about them, the more you learn about it, the more remarkable this evolutionary trick called cork uh, seems. Well, you say that, what was it, how many millions of years have cork trees been around? 40 45, to 45. Yeah, yeah 45 million years. Yeah. So when did they first discover that they could basically strip the tree bark and produce cork from it? The oldest archaeological records we have from the utilization of cork dates back to ancient Egypt. Mm. The Romans certainly use it, and in fact, as sophisticated as the cork uh, or some companies within the cork industry are today, there is one very special moment. And if you have the chance one day to be here in June, July, and August when the harvest of the cork takes place, let me know. Um, I will do. When (laughs) when you are in the middle of cork forest during harvest and you close your eyes, the sounds you hear are exactly the same sounds that the Romans heard 2,000 years ago. I like that. Do you know that's a great yeah. picture painting after, moment? After mm-hmm. that, everything changed. <laughs> okay. So we, we have super They're not wearing the sandals. They're not wearing the sandals anymore. Exactly. Well, you know, what's the difference between some of the shoes you have today and some of the Roman sandals from 2,000 years ago? Not much. It's a 
cork base with leather stripes on top of it. So the heel, maybe it's a different one. It might be higher today than it was 2,000 <laughs> years ago. But a lot of it, it's exactly, exactly the same. So a lot has happened ever since. You know, I was telling you, today at Amarin, we apply supercritical fluid technology for export, thermal desorption technology for the natural whole cork stoppers, ND tech for that amazing, you know, half a, a drop of water in 800 Olympic size swimming pools analogy I was telling you about. Yeah. So that's remarkable. But let's not forget, you know, that at the end of the day, it, it's nature that created that amazing cell destruction. I know. Not it's, an, it's insane. And I suppose, actually, can you just describe to people, once people have stripped off the bark, what the forest looks like? Because when I've seen this in pictures, it is incredible, that the colour. I'll let you just describe that. You're, you're quite good at storytelling, so I'll give this over to you. Thank you. I like <laughs> to think that, you know, someone approaches you and says, you know what, I need an image to describe a forest in another planet. It's a sci-fi. Oh, God, yes. yes. It's a sci-fi book or a film, and I need to create, you know, this image of, of what a forest could look like in another planet, in another galaxy. And someone comes to you and says, oh, I know what we ought to do. We ought to make the trees orange. <laughs> <laughs> really no, orange? No, no, that's too much of a stretch, you know. Well, no, it isn't, because that's exactly uh-huh. what the cork forests of the Western Mediterranean Basin look like in June, July, and August. They are yeah. orange, bright orange, and, and they smell like honeydew. And, oh, and yeah. it's really, really remarkable and beautiful. And at the end of the day, you know, I'm really going to replace all of this for something that really does not bring much to the equation like like a plastic stopper nah, yeah not. absolutely I, I don't think so well i am hoping that with all those stats and figures you've all learned something new i certainly did we're carrying on next week and we will be talking about the species of the trees that produce cork, how you get the cork from the tree and you process it, the time it takes for a tree to mature and how long a cork tree can live. Now, of course, I finish off with a wine quote and I've taken this from Amarin's website. Wine is life. Cork expands it. Noble and magical, cork and wine interact in a symbiotic relationship that has developed over the centuries. I could say after learning more about the cork trees, I have so much more respect for this environmentally friendly and carbon positive bottle stopper. Right, as always, may I ask you to like this episode. Do share it with your wine-loving friends and subscribe if you haven't already so that you don't miss an episode. Leave me a comment if you are listening on Apple or leave me a rating on Spotify. And perhaps take a walk in a forest this week if you can smell that fresh air. Allow nature's peace to inspire you and motivate you. And I will see you all back here next Monday. So until then, cheers to you.